Welcome back to the Reading Series Podcast. My name is Kate Sharon Sweat. I am a science fiction and fantasy author, and I am reading the uh, chapter seven and eight today from my book Outlaw Rising. It is a prequel to my space opera series called The Parse Galaxy. And if you haven't listened to the rest of these or read the book, then you might want to go back and listen to the previous episodes so that you will be able to catch up with where we are. Again, this book is free on all of the platforms, so if you want to read along or catch up that way, you absolutely can. I think I'm getting a little better at reading, so if the first couple of episodes are sort of painful, then you could like read up to chapter seven and then um, join me uh, for that. And I'll talk a little more about that at the end. So let's get into chapter seven. Chapter 7. What's the persona, then? Vin spoke into Sloane's ear, apparently intent on going over the plan one last time. But Sloane's focus was split as the single-person pod shot away from Moneymaker to drop toward Anro Moon. She'd attended plenty of fancy parties and worn her fair share of overpriced dresses, but this outfit topped them all. She felt like she was drowning in a sea of silk and tulle fluff, but apparently that was the expected fashion in Fleet World. The dress hardly fit in the pod, and one misplaced wiggle might spell disaster for the whole getup. The last thing she needed was to catch a wad of tulle in a buckle. I'm Sky Sinclair, she said, more to distract herself from the pod's rumbling descent than because either of them needed a refresh. Vin had chosen the first name for its popularity, since Sky was apparently the number one name for women her age, at least where they tracked those kinds of things. I'm the wife of a low-level pencil pusher. He's got big ambitions, but neither of us have much experience with fleet power structures. A nobody family, but I like to think we have potential. Keep it simple, Vin's voice was clear as a bell in her ear. He'd synced a communication bud with her eye screen, so he'd be able to see through her eyes once she reached the ground. The bud was just a sticker, smaller than the size of a fingertip, and pressed into the hollow of her ear. That was simple, Sloane said. She knew a lot more about Sky Sinclair than that. Hopefully she wouldn't have to use any of the information, but she'd have it. It's kind of like being an author in world building. You know more about the world than you put on the page. Is that what it's like to go incognito? <laughs> that was me, not Sloane, obviously, if you're not watching the video. <laughs> the pod whooshed to a stop and she unstrapped carefully, checked her hair. It was still piled on her head in a precarious stack of braids that Hilda had mysteriously known how to arrange then reached to open the door, and stopped with her hand halfway to the lever. "'What if I screw it up?' she asked. "'You won't,' Vin sounded way too sure, not even a split second of hesitation. But then he'd never experienced the overwhelming disappointment of, for example, sending Sloane to the market for a single torque fruit and having her return with a bushel of fresh horines instead, though Sloane's mother would happily enlighten him on that. "'But if something happens, we'll bail you out.' "'Right.' He was right there in orbit. He could help if she got into a rough spot. Better if something doesn't happen, though, Hilda added. Sloane sighed and lifted the lever. Keep it simple. She could do that. The door slid open, and Simple flew straight out the window. She'd landed in front of a palace. Well, the spaceport outside the grounds outside of a palace, but she certainly didn't have a more fitting word for the elegant building that sat on a small hill before her, with its tall, arched windows and sparkling stonework. Emerald topiaries invited a parade of guests through lacework fences, the whole place glittering like a snow globe. It was impossibly beautiful. Invite? Sloane startled, then stepped out of the pod, taking care not to step on her dress, and raised the palm, her palm for the attendant, who'd hopped up on the platform to meet her. 
To her left and right, other ships were receiving the same treatment as they belched out people in fancy dresses and shining tuxedos. The other pods looked significantly shiny than Moneymakers. The one just to her left had one of the new conical shapes, and it looked big enough to contain two levels. Why would anyone need two levels in a drop pod? Sloane did her best to put on an expression of impressed amazement, but without overdoing it. Sky Sinclair might be overawed and more than a little ditzy, but she'd still been married to a fleet officer for several years. She'd seen plenty of fancy parties herself, but none of them had taken place in a palace, so it wasn't too difficult to widen her eyes and let the house draw her gaze. The attendant scanned her palm, then nodded. Welcome to Anro Moon, Miss Sinclair. Will you need valet service for your pod? Sloane cleared her throat, doing her best to catch hold of the flighty persona she'd drawn up. She'd certainly played a similar role at her parents' parties. No, thank you, she said. It's returning to orbit. The attendant gave her a small bow, then stepped aside to allow her to pass. She raised her skirts as she made her way down the steps, careful not to trip. If a fall laid her out flat, she'd have difficulty avoiding notice. No problem, she murmured, keeping an easy smile on her face. That was the easy part, Vin said, sounding appropriately unimpressed, like a person who used fake IDs every day. Now we need to locate the middleman. Vin hadn't been able to find out who was here to hand off the data, so Sloane had memorized a dozen options within the fleet intelligence office. These people weren't covert. That was the point in having one of them show up here rather than a field operative. But there were a lot of them. Sloane wasn't sure what she'd do if they all came, which would be an excellent spy move, but she figured she could improvise. At the moment, Sloane wasn't sure she could locate anyone. Not just because of the throngs of guests who made their way toward Anro Manor, but because of the manor itself. The mansion's stonework shone almost as if from within, though it had to be reflecting the pink and purple hues of the sunset sky behind her. She couldn't tell if the stones were inlaid with some kind of metal alloy, if the owner had simply attached a tech net to cover the outside of the building. Probably the latter. It'd be able to sample the color of the sky and recreate it, reflected in a way, with more accuracy than an inlay. And it had come with a full suite of bells and whistles, including protective shields and security measures. That was pretty run-of-the-mill for anyone who had a little money and a lot to protect, and the fleet certainly qualified. Sloane tucked herself in the center of the crowd as people milled through the gates and onto the palace grounds. It wasn't technically a palace. Cadence system had no kings, at least not yet. But the place was enormous and overwhelming. She was glad for the fluffy silver skirt, which hid both the data-copying stealth shoes and it looked absolutely amazing. She certainly wasn't out of place among the diamond and silks that drifted up the walkway around her. As soon as she stepped into the gardens, the manor house faded into the background because this house wasn't only a palace, it was a museum. Not the kind where a computerized voice droned lists of dates into your ear or a depressing one with the remnants of some destroyed planet's culture. It was an art museum, the best kind. Or perhaps more accurately, it was a private art collection. Look at the artwork, she breathed. The sculptures. Her eyes landed on a white cast figure of a woman and she couldn't stop herself from drifting toward it. The woman wore a belt of fruit around her waist, the grapes and apples and torque fruit all rendered in such fine detail that Sloane felt like she could take a taste if she could only pluck one away. This is our Corshoni. Is this real? Focus, Finn said. Real. It was so definitely real. 
but Sloane's gaze had already drifted past the fruit-bearing woman to where a glass seascape dominated the far quarter of the garden. Vin, she whispered, that's a scraler. Don't get distracted, Vin said. But Sloane was already moving toward the sculpture. Scraler had tinted the grass in tight weaves of green and purple, and when it caught the light, it actually appeared to move. Swaying seagrass, flitting fish, none of it was digital. He simply sculpted glass to give the impression, and the effect was nothing short of magical. The man was a genius. Everyone else is stopping to admire the art, she said. I shouldn't rush. Rushing would only make her noticeable. Of course, so would muttering under her breath. She hadn't caught any stares yet, but she would if she kept yammering. She approached the sculpture, unable to keep her distance as if the thing were drawing her forward. She felt like she was getting dragged into a spell, one she hoped would trap her and pull her under. It was so beautiful, she could hardly breathe. What are you doing? Vin hissed. I've never seen a scraler in person before, Sloane said out loud. A few other guests nodded, their attention similarly caught. Up close, the artwork lost its sense of movement, but the colors deepened, highlighting the intricate slice of sea the artist had captured. She felt like she could stand here for a week and still fail to catch every detail. Sloane licked her lips, tilting her head slightly to examine the bottom of the sculpture where the glass met its stone base. Professor Camden might not appreciate Scraler's famous use of Javen adhesive in his work, but she'd longed for a chance to see it in person. Instead of the telltale silver and green waves, though, the base was clear, like the artist had used a simple plaster mix, just like everyone else. There's no Javen adhesive, Sloane said. That's disappointing. A woman standing nearby nodded, looking thoughtful beneath a tower of purple hair. The other guests were still pointing at the fish or moving on. No one else seemed to notice. And truly, the Javen wasn't the point of Scraler's art. It was just a detail. Maybe it's his early work. Vin's voice was carefully patient, measured. Now, if you have a moment, perhaps you could find the middleman before the handoff happens. Reluctantly, Sloane turned away from the sculpture. Javen or no, it felt like turning her back on a friend. Sloane glided up the steps and into the ballroom, where the window doors had been flung open to invite everyone inside. Rose gold chandeliers sparkled above at least a hundred covered tables, their cloths threaded in silver and gold. The fleet was all about their precious metals, apparently. The room smelled invitingly of champagne and herbs as waiters danced through the room, balancing trays of drinks and hors d'oeuvres. Even with all the tables, there was still room for a sweeping dance floor and a twelve-piece orchestra. She was hardly a stranger to excess, at least so she'd thought, but this was amazing. Sloane let out a long breath. She had a feeling she'd stepped in way over her head. The fleet owns this place? She'd meant it as a rhetorical question, or at most one for Vin, but a man seemed to materialize at her elbow, and he laughed warmly, catching her eye as if the question had been meant for him. No, the fleet doesn't own it, he said. Frankly, Sorby does. He's a big fleet supporter. That one's cute. That was Hilda's voice in Sloane's ear. Sloane supposed he wasn't bad. Sandy hair, tan skin, twinkling brown eyes. She'd hung with his type before. At least he was a tuxedo guy. The midnight blue fleet uniforms that dominated the room were less than attractive. A pretty color, but the fleet somehow managed to make it look somber. I see. Sloane blinked her eyes a few times and flipped her few loose strands of hair over her shoulder, hoping she seemed new and young and maybe a little lost. Well, thank you. I've never been here before. 
She started to step away, but the man caught her elbow. Care for a dance? He's not our guy, Vin said. That seemed pretty obvious, even to Sloane. An intelligence agent wouldn't call to call attention to himself like this unless he knew who she was and what she was after. Oh, no thank you, Sloane said, injecting a breathy tone in her voice along with a nervous giggle. I'm looking for my husband. It gave her an excuse to scan the ballroom, which was getting more crowded by the moment. Half the ball gowns were glinting in the chandelier light, spitting fractured sparkles onto the, into the onset of twilight. The rest of the outfits, if they weren't tuxedos, were fleet military dress. Who's your husband? the man asked. Oh, Sloane said, Leo Sinclair? The woman with the purple stack of hair glided across the dance floor not three feet from where Sloane stood, a red tuxedo date on her arm. A trio of young women sat at one of the nearest tables, heads bent together. They hardly looked old enough to be allowed in. She dismissed them, scanning the crowd, but it was shoulder to shoulder, laughter echoing over the orchestral music and the clip of dancing footsteps. With so many distractions spinning through the room, Sloane might not have noticed the unremarkable man. He seemed like the only unremarkable person in sight, had he not zoomed right across the sliver of space that remained between her and the dance floor. He wore one of those ubiquitous fleet uniforms, though his shoes weren't nearly as polished as the rest of the shoes in the room. He slipped by Sloane with his hand outstretched, not toward the commander, at least not yet, but toward a waiter who carried a tray of stuffed mushrooms. She recognized the man's round face, his bald spot, and the wrinkled set of his mouth. Vin might have limited knowledge of fleet spies, but his portfolio had plenty of information on their bureaucrats, including their photos. The uniform looked decidedly wrong on him, baggy in the shoulders and tight around the middle, as if he hadn't tried it on in some time. It had to be him, the middleman. She watched as he flagged down the waiter and plucked three mushrooms off the tray, bowing as he thanked the man. Sloane started after him, but the tuxedo wearer, who'd asked about her husband, stepped in front of her, blocking her path. She hadn't even realized he was still standing there. I've never heard of any Leo Sinclair, he said, making her heart seize in panic, which means I outrank him. Dance with me. I take it back, Hilda said, through, a butt, through the bud. Not cute. Sloane had half a mind to throw him into a table. The problem with that plan, aside from wanting to remain unnoticed, was that he didn't seem all that throwable. Another problem, the middleman had now reached the far side of the dance floor, where he was approaching a tall man whose uniform, in addition to its correct fit, featured a collection of gold stripes on each shoulder. He had so many medals on his chest that it was a wonder he could stand still. Sloane didn't need to study some portfolio to recognize Commander Fortune. She didn't pay much attention to the news, but you only had to pay some if you wanted to recognize the leader of the Galactic Fleet. He looked imposing enough when his face appeared on the feeds, but here, here he was almost on the sidelines, quietly returning each greeting with a nod or a handshake. He stood with his hands at the small of his back as if parade rest were his default pose. He looked not uneasy exactly, watchful. Yet he had a reputation, she remembered, for joining in the action, for helping his officers on the ground. Didn't seem likely. With an effort, Sloane snapped her attention away from Commander Fortune. The middleman was three tables away, and Sloane could only think of one way to reach him before he passed the key off. Be ready, she said. The rude man frowned. For what? For this. She grabbed his hands and swept him into the dance floor, nearly upsetting the purple-haired woman and her partner, plus the couple behind them. 
The woman lifted an equally purple eyebrow before continuing their dance. Holding on to her hands, the rude man laughed. I meant the next dance, sweetheart, but I can appreciate a little spontaneity. Sweetheart, please. If she had the time, she'd... But she didn't. The middleman was reaching into his pocket. Three beats, and they'd be there. Oops, Sloan said. My mistake. Incoming, Vin said, and three, two, Sloan dropped her partner's hands and whirled off the dance floor just as a thunder of fireworks lit up the patio. Gasps surrounded her, along with a few startled screams, and everyone stopped what they were doing, the orchestra included, to stare out at the neon blooms that burst to life above the patio. Vin had dropped them close enough that the noise reverberated through her ribcage, and the ballroom flashed in hues of blue, green, and purple as the gasps shifted quickly to appreciative applause. Sloane had been expecting the distraction, though she tried to look startled as she rammed into the middleman, knocking straight into his outstretched palm and flinging the thumbnail-sized data key into the air. Great. I've been looking forward to this one. <laughs> Still half-leaning against the middleman, Sloane lunged, making a grab for the data key as it arced toward the floor. She dove for it, knocking over a chair, and snatched it in the last instant, palming the chip just as the man practically shoved her aside so he could drop to his knees to search for it. He might look forgettable, but the man hadn't even flinched at the onset of fireworks that he had to know weren't on the schedule for tonight. I'm so sorry, Sloane chattered as she pretended to search, keeping the key wedged between her thumb and palm as she patted the floor. If only ball gowns had sleeves to hide things in. It was unlikely the man could hear what she was saying over the bursts of fireworks that Vin was dropping from the moneymaker, but it felt like it was worth the effort to keep her lips moving. I was just dancing and then the fireworks and I can't believe how clumsy I am. He was growing desperate now, shooting looks back toward the commander, though Sloane didn't dare pause in her feigned search to see what Fortune's response was. "'Never mind, miss,' the middleman shouted. "'I'll find it.' "'Miss. Right.' Sloane shook her head, still prattling on about how clumsy she was, and crawled straight under the nearest table. Hidden by the gold-threaded cloth, and grateful that the fireworks had evacuated this table, she jammed the data key into the heel of her shoe." The tablecloth wasn't quite thick enough to block out the flash of the fireworks, which were still exploding close enough to rattle the table. She could feel them vibrating through the floor. At least it was clean down here. Someone had definitely given the floor a good polish. Someone tugged at the tablecloth behind her, and Sloane kicked him away with her free shoe. I think I see it, she shouted, though really there was no way to know if anyone could hear. Finish it up, she muttered. If anyone answered through the bud, she couldn't hear it. A beat passed, and the sequins on the shoes blinked green. That was quick. Uploaded, she whispered. Confirmed. This time she heard the response loud and clear. Alex, she thought. Sloane hadn't even realized the scientist was participating in this mission, aside from making the shoes, though she'd been present at the planning meeting. When Sloane crawled out from under the table, there was a hand waiting to help her to her feet and she looked up to see Commander Fortune peering down at her, concern plain in his gray eyes. He wasn't quite as old as she'd thought when she'd seen him from across the room. Must have been the glare of all those medals shining in her eyes. But his dark hair was flecked with gray, and lines were beginning to set in at the corners of his eyes. She couldn't imagine the concern that deepened those wrinkles must possibly mean that he was worried about her. He must be thinking about the data or the fact that he still had his hand extended while she stared at him like a fish. She took his hand, and his grip was strong and warm as he helped her to her feet. Maybe this man did join his soldiers on the ground after all. Sloane let go as quickly as she dared, thanked him, then thrust the data key back toward the middleman, who was still crawling on his hands and knees. 
She felt a little bad for him, actually. Unless he was one of the ones who wanted the fleet to take over the galaxy. If so, then she didn't care at all. I told you I'd get your thingy, she said, injecting as much bubbly brightness into her voice as she could. Given that her heart was pounding about twenty times faster than its usual pace, it was more difficult than she'd expected. The man snatched the key back, but his gaze slid past Sloane to lock over her shoulder, presumably on the commander, who stood less than a pace behind her. Sloane couldn't see Fortune's expression, but whatever the middleman saw made him shove the key into his pocket. It's of no consequence, miss, he said. Enjoy the ball. With that, he grabbed a napkin from the nearest waiter's tray and used it to mop his face before nodding to the commander and scurrying away. No doubt they'd find another moment to hand off the key. Right now, right after they got rid of her. Beautiful fireworks, Commander Fortune said. Sloane turned, startled. Yes, she said, covering her stammer by running a hand through her hair. Her fingers immediately tangled in the intricate braids. She'd forgotten about those. Fireworks make me so nervous, and I'm a terrible dancer as it is, and I just... The commander smiled faintly, though his gaze was still directed out the doors. It's strange. I didn't order fireworks. His voice wasn't loud, yet it was somehow commanding, even though he'd issued none. A musical baritone, one she could imagine his officers leaning forward to hear. As though he'd willed it, the fireworks ceased, leaving behind the smell of burning wicks and live sparks. Smoke hung heavy in the blue-tinted twilight, already drif drifting away from the gardens in the light breeze. The ballroom erupted in cheers of appreciation. They might not have expected the fireworks, but they clearly saw the show as a pleasant surprise. Commander Fortune looked less pleased. Not angry, perhaps, but definitely bemused, maybe even suspicious. Sloane expected Vin to chime into her ear with some quip, or Hilda to remark on the commander's quietly striking looks. But no one spoke, so she just giggled and covered her mouth. She didn't want to leave the conversation too early and make him suspicious of her. Maybe they were meant to be surprised, she said, the fireworks. Commander Fortune glanced at her, eyebrows ticking up slightly as if he were surprised to see her still standing there. Yes, well, I'll need to speak with my secretary about that. Enjoy the ball, Ms. I'm sorry, I didn't catch her name. Sinclair, she said. Sky Sinclair. Good night, Commander. Sloane sauntered away from the dance floor, taking care to meander along the edge of the ballroom. She stopped for a stuffed mushroom, not because she particularly wanted one, but sh so that she wouldn't be seen rushing away. She didn't see anyone watching her, but better to be cautious. With that done, though, she was eager to get back to the ship, particularly with the crew still maintaining radio silence. Why were they maintaining audio silence? That hadn't been a part of the plan. Maybe it was a routine precaution they'd forgotten to tell her about, or maybe it was some kind of a malfunction. Nerves jangled in her stomach, making her regret the mushroom, and she headed for the patio, skipping down the steps and aiming straight for the garden. She'd expected the job to take longer, much longer, actually. But at least she could stroll past the sculpture garden alone. There wouldn't be any harm in that. Sloane paused beside the scraler. It was truly an amazing sculpture. Though a gentle spotlight now illuminated it, the glass still managed to incorporate hues of twilight. How did he do that? She was just starting to bend over for another look at the base. It truly looked lit from within, and she wanted to see if there was a power source when Alex spoke into her ear. We have a problem, she said. There's no data on the key. Sloane straightened, frowning up at the sky as though Alex could actually see her from orbit. Do you mean they wiped it? How could they have had time? Can't you do some computery magic to get it back? 
I'm not a computer engineer. I'm an astrophysicist. Give me the shoes, though. I'm an astro... They didn't wipe it. That was Vin, and he sounded grave. Sloan had a feeling he would have to be to interrupt one of his crew members. Someone swapped the keys. You need to get out of there, Sloan. As soon as the commander checks the data, he'll think you were the one who... Hands grabbed Sloane's upper arms, wrenching her away from the scraler and back toward the garden steps. She glanced over her shoulder to see a pair of burly security guards. They were all arms and shoulders and bulky necks, and that was basically the only information the look gave her before her hands were yanked behind her back. She didn't fight as one of them clasped a pair of magna cuffs around her wrists, though her heart was hammering in her chest and her mouth had gone dry. No need to feign confused fear, it was real enough. They were gentle with her, as gentle as anyone could be while hauling a handcuffed person in a ballroom, but as they led her up the steps and out of the garden, she couldn't help the panicked quickness of her breath. All she could think was that they were going to declare her a spy and throw her in some dungeon. At least, that was all she could think until she noticed how many people were watching. Guests paused in their dancing, eating, and general merrymaking to stare as the guards hustled her past the doors. She didn't see the man who'd wanted to dance with her or the commander, though he was probably waiting for her in some secret room. "'Surely you have more discreet routes to wherever you're taking me,' Sloane said. One of the guards grunted, but that was the only response she got. Typical. Maybe they didn't have another route, or maybe they paraded evildoers in front of the crowd for a reason. A warning? So everyone could see her face? Her cheeks burned, and she wished she could bury them in the tool of her gown and hide forever.' She didn't dare say a word to Vin. The bud he'd given her was tucked deep into her ear, and there was a chance they wouldn't see it. A thin chance, but she'd take what she could get. As the guards led her, not into some deep recess, but into a large library with floor-to-ceiling books, she still wanted to scream for help. But more, she wanted to scream to Vin to run. Sloane had a powerful father and no record. They would write this off as a prank, and she'd be fine. Besides, all those guests had seen her being taken here, which meant the fleet couldn't throw her in some dungeon and pretend she didn't exist. Sloane could get out of this. Vin, though? Vin was an outlaw, wanted in several systems. If Dad's rants could be believed, if the fleet caught him, the only thing he'd see would be the inside of his cell. Thank you for listening to chapters 7 and 8 of Outlaw Rising today. Again, the ebook is free, so you can go grab that if you like. And as I mentioned at the beginning, I think I'm getting a little bit better at reading. I'm getting a little more comfortable. So again, if those first couple of episodes are more difficult, um, you know, you can read the few first few chapters and then join us here. Um, I, I mean, presumably you've already listened to some of it. Um, I will probably go ahead and make the next book, whatever I'm going to read, another sort of entry point into a series. Um, that way it'll be like, I'll get better at reading and, um, it'll be easier to, you know, have pull more people in with my better reading. <laughs> I don't know that I'm ever going to be, you know, an audiobook narrator. Those people are amazing. And the more that I read these, the more impressed I am, um, with all of their various things that they're able to do with voices and, um, their pacing and all of that. But this is truly so much fun, um, to read these and, um, I mentioned that chapter eight I was really looking forward to reading, and that is because of Commander Fortune showing up for the first time in any Parse Galaxy book. Commander Fortune is one of the main characters in the Parse Galaxy series. He is the other point of view character. And so um, it was really fun to put him on the page here um, and to actually read that again. Um, 
and for a little bit, if you want a little bit more background information too, um, when I first wrote this chapter, I or when I was planning this book, because I'm a planner, I like to plot my books. When I was plotting this, I was thinking that um, she was actually going to meet his father, because his father is a um, was a fleet commander, and I will not give you any spoilers about that, but um, he was going to basically be a, an entirely different character. But as soon as I put him on the page, she saw him in the ballroom. I was like, nope, that's him. <laughs> that's the other main character in the series. So I, I kind of changed things around a little bit, um, like messed with their ages. Obviously didn't want him to be 70 or however old his father was. So because um, he's a grown fleet person. And so anyway, um, that was uh, that's one of the interesting things about the process that even when you, you know, have a plan for a book and you create an outline. Sometimes it can uh, bring you in surprising directions and it kind of defined the series in a really different way and made the stakes a lot higher going forward. If you've read more of the books, you probably know what I'm talking about. And if not, then stay tuned because I, I plan to continue reading at least the first book. I, I'm not going to um, promise that, but I think what I what my plan is going forward, if we want to look forward a bit, um, I'm going to finish Outlaw Rising on the 16th. And the week after that, I'm going to read an independent short story that is in the Parse Galaxy world. It's called Highly Irregular, and it just will be kind of a standalone episode. And after that, I think I'm going to go ahead and read Chaos Zone, because like I said, that is going to be another entry point into the series, and I'm getting better at reading, and maybe you could tell your friends, um, all that stuff. So... <laughs> I am having so much fun with this. Thank you so much for listening and please do leave some comments and come join me on the 17th because we can have a little party. Uh, I hope you have a great week.